Welcome to Socially Responsible Business with host Sharon Schneider. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to succeed financially while using your business as a force for good and spend differently without spending more. Now, here is Sharon. Welcome to today's episode of Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider, a social impact advisor, serial entrepreneur, author, and speaker. If this is your first time tuning in, the core belief behind Socially Responsible Business, this show, is that you can actually be more successful, more profitable, more influential, as well as happier and more personally fulfilled when you make choices that are not just good for you, the entrepreneur or business owner, but good for your employees, your vendors, your customers, your community, and the environment. So we're going in a little bit of a different direction today. So far, all of our guests have been founders and C-suite executives, and if you've missed any of those conversations, be sure to check out our past episodes and links to all the resources our guests have shared at www.theintegratedlife.com. They've talked about their mission and values and desire to translate those values into the way their company operates at every level. But unless you are a one-person company, a sole proprietor, and I know some of you are, The reality is that CEOs can set priorities and articulate company values, but it takes a team to translate those ideas into the day-to-day work of a company, which means you can't be a socially responsible business if your team isn't on board. So today we'll talk with Michael Snyder, operations associate at a mission-driven company that I am lucky enough to work closely with and have for the last six or seven years. So this is why I like to say that in a socially responsible company, impact is everyone's job. It can't just be the job of the community relations or the marketing team or just the CEO or their direct reports, and it better not be just the job of the PR team. So if you're going to succeed, it has to be the job of the administrative assistants, the maintenance team, the hiring managers, the middle managers, the chief cook and bottle washer, right? Everybody. Sometimes all those roles get wrapped into one person. And it's probably called something like operations associate. So today my guest is operations associate extraordinaire, Michael Snyder. No relation, by the way, he's a Snyder. I'm a Schneider. You can hear the difference there. Michael is incredibly well-organized. He is efficient. He is intuitive and kind and three steps ahead of you. And also a talented cook who makes a knock your socks off creme brulee. And he can probably tell you why your car is making that funny noise. Michael, welcome to Socially Responsible Business. Thank you so much for having me, Sharon. I'm honored uh, and humbled to be here with you today. Well, you know, I just enjoy having conversations with you all of the time. So now this is fun because other people just get to listen, listen to you uh, and listen to our conversation. So thank you. So um, to start us off, you work for a private company owned by a very private family. So we aren't going to talk about the company and its business other than to say it's a knowledge economy business, you know, going to meetings and typing on computers <laughs> type business. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about your background and your current role spearheading operations? Absolutely. Uh, so I recently celebrated my five-year anniversary in my current uh, organization. Uh, three of those five years have been in the operations associate role, and the two preceding that uh, were in administrative assistant capacity. 
Before that, uh, I spent about four years doing operations at a large Ford dealership in the Phoenix area, uh, supporting interstate tax compliance, uh, purchase documentation for our hundreds and hundreds of, of clients, um, as well as uh, managing some of our custom vehicle builds and, and things like that. So I've been in operations um, for the majority of my career. Um, and now my current role in operations focuses mostly on um, systems and technology implementations, uh, data and reporting, um, as well as um, building a strong culture. Yeah, culture. We'll, we'll talk about that for sure. Okay, so what made you make the move from automotive to, you know, this company, which, as I said, is, an, is a knowledge economy business? What attracted you about the company and the role? Was there something in the job description that was appealing? It was it was a serendipitous uh, kind of alignment of the stars, if you will. Um, you, you know, if I, I mentioned that that previous role was in in Arizona, and my partner and I were moving to Denver, and I was looking for new roles um, that aligned with my uh, experience and my abilities, uh, and what I felt I could um, execute well uh, in in a new role. Uh, and so the skills aligned with, very much with with my expertise, but also. Um, it was very clear um, from the moment I saw the job description that um, participation in a mission-aligned organization was going to bring me a new level um, of fulfillment in my life um, that I was not able to experience in my previous role. Do you remember anything specifically about the job description, or was it just the description of the company that kind of gave you that impression? Um, they described... Um, pretty concisely, um, the communities in which they serve and the ways in which they execute the work. Um, I remember the values were included in that job description. And the one thing that stood out to me as unique um, that I I kind of cling to every day um, is the value of humility. Um, it's consistent with the way that I was raised. Uh, my family was very big on humility as being a part of um, the way that you should show up in community, um, coming forward, providing value and sharing your expertise, but also recognizing that you don't know all the answers and you won't ever be the full solution, you know, for every single problem or in every single situation. And so it's really highlighting um, the value of teamwork and collaboration uh, when you lead with humility. Uh, and so when I read that value, it was clear to me that this organization was different um, and I was really excited um, to learn more. Uh, and of course, was over the moon uh, when I was welcomed to the team. Yeah. And and that that resonates for me with who you are and how you show up, I think, um, every day. And, and also with the business owners and who they aspire to be, that humility, it really is a core value. It, I don't want to put you on the spot. It's like Rick Perry and the departments of the government he wants to eliminate. But can you share what the other <laughs> core values of the company are? And, and you know, the fact that they were written there. I mean, is that something that this you were handed on day one or is it more of a vibes kind of thing? It was both and. Um, I'll, I'll contextualize a little bit and say that when I joined the team, it was uh, less than 50 percent the, the capacity it is now. Uh, when I joined the team originally, um, I think I was number four or five, um, and now we're uh, at just over 12. And 
so in addition to the the values being articulated and provided in the job description as well as you know a core piece of what we went over on day one and onboarding um it was very much a vibes thing it was very much uh you know everyone embodied all of the values um and it was very clear that not only were the values intentional and um directly aligned with the way that the business carried out its work um it's very clear that every member of the team lived those values um both inside and outside the office going back to your um initial request i i will tell you the other the other properties um and i think you'll you'll notice uh throughout this list um they are it's a really special collection of values um to live by each and every day so the first is belonging um we'll get into a little bit more about the way we employ belonging alongside the DEI and B the diversity equity and inclusion component of that equation um but belonging as a sentiment um has been a, a core underlying theme of the way that we exist in community the way that we um do our work and the way that we show up together as a team the next is partnership and collaboration i've mentioned this a couple of times uh in the way that we do our work um but it is um through and through a collaborative organization um between the strategy and operations teams and uh the what we call the shared impact teams that manage our external facing work every piece of it is collaborative I've already talked about humility. The next step is respect for the individual. Um, this means that when we approach our work in community, we're focusing on the net impact for the individual, not systems-based typically, not um, you know for an entire group of people. We we aim to really create solutions or or help support solutions that impact individuals um, rather than uh, you know creating generalizations or. Uh, one-size-fits-all solutions. Next up is nimble. Uh, nimble means that we are able to pivot uh, based on changes in, in you know, political climate or a variety of other ways. Um, it, you know, the world keeps changing and so must we. And the last is catalytic. It means that we want the work that we do to really inspire change um, for other organizations um, rather than it, us just operating in a silo. So those are our uh, our core values. That's really impressive. Um, I, I'm here to tell you, as far as I can tell, Michael is not reading that. He is <laughs> he is reciting it from memory, which I think really speaks to um, how he does live into those and how real they are for the company. Is there a moment, um, and we have about two minutes before break, but is there a moment that you could think of that that made you go, oh, oh they mean it. No, I, oh, okay, this is like, I can see how it affected that uh, decision or that that day-to-day kind of something that that goes on in the company I would say it wasn't one one specific moment it's been a continuation of moments each and every day um, over the last five years um, I've experienced every person of the team every member of the team live these values and particularly coming from uh, the automotive industry which is well known for not being uh, an incredibly uh, welcoming or uh, enriching place to to find employment um every single day it's been relearning um and growing into um these values um because while they 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 felt good to be in 
every day I was like, is this actually the way that we can do business? And so being <laughs> being affirmed each and every day by by my colleagues um, as saying, yes, we can accomplish great work and we can live these values both, both internally and externally um, has just been uh, rewarding uh, beyond measure. I'm not going to lie. The one I struggle with, of course, personally is humility. And, and I say that jokingly, like, you know, my, my massive ego, but also in that um, it's, it's often used as a sort of controlling mechanism, particularly for junior people and for, women to not claim credit for their contributions and to, you know, um, keep them, uh, yeah, on the, on the junior side. But I think in this organization, um, humility is, is sort of an organizational value about realizing, as you said, it's not, we don't have all the answers in solving the problems or in, you know, accomplishing the goals of this business, we need partners um, who have different strengths and different perspectives and different relationships. And so that's been a really, you know, great growth area for me to kind of understand the better, you know, positive side of humility. And, And I've come to really appreciate that. All right, you're listening to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider. I'm talking today with Operations Associate Michael Snyder about the day-to-day decision-making that's needed to carry out the values and intentions of those C-suite executives and business owners. When we come back, Michael's going to share some of his best party planning tricks, so stay tuned. Birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. If you're a business owner who wants to use the power of free enterprise to not just help yourself and your own family, but your employees, your community, and the world at large, then tune in to Socially Responsible Business. Host Sharon Schneider, a serial entrepreneur and impact advisor to some of the world's most prominent families, will help you uncover all the ways you can succeed financially while using your business as a force for good. Every show will include practical ideas and tools that you can implement right away. And it's not about spending more money. It's about thinking and spending differently. Socially Responsible Business, hosted by Sharon Schneider. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. Have a question for Sharon or her guests? Email her at Sharon at theintegratedlife.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider, and I'm here today with Michael Snyder, a best-in-class operations associate whose job involves translating the values of the business owners he works for into hundreds of everyday decisions that make a company run. So, Michael, I have been lucky enough to get to attend uh, lots of the events that you organize from, you know, meetings um, that have a lunch served to really wonderful holiday parties and and, um, outings for the whole team. So talk us through the elements that go into planning a, let's say, holiday party and how you make sure it reflects the company's values. I mean, maybe we start with like literally the location, um, you know, how do you, how do you approach those? When it comes to physical location, the first thing that I think about is proximity um, of, of the homes and where people are going to be commuting to and from. Um, Because our team is small, I'm able to have pretty good tabs on what part of town people live in, uh, you know, which folks have you know, childcare responsibilities or pet care responsibilities. And I'm able to kind of triangulate around the city and figure out what area is going to make the most sense for our team members, uh, particularly that are participating in events after, you know, typical business hours, like a ho- like a holiday party. Um, in addition to that, we look for spaces that, um, one, are beautiful. I think it is an under under uh, valued component of holiday par- uh, of pa- party planning generally um, is finding a place that's beautiful, and so typically we look for events that have good outdoor space or uh, spaces that have good outdoor integration um, or art displays, um, things like this that add that extra bit of special flair to the the specific venue. Yeah, we've we've been at the botanic garden for the last couple of years which checks all of those boxes plus is a nonprofit, you know scientific uh kind of contributor to our community and so i love that um example but man i didn't even realize you were literally triangulating based on where we live like the thoughtfulness level is just through the roof and you always have amazing food talk to us about food for these kinds of events this is uh, one that's close to my heart, Sharon. As you mentioned, I, I do love cooking. Uh, and so uh, when I do get to to think about food and cooking during the, the normal course of my workday, uh, it's a special treat for me. Um, so in addition to, of course, uh, knowing by heart all of the dietary restrictions and allergies of all the members of my team, um, we also like to support local caterers rather than national chains. Um, and particularly catering companies or small food businesses that are run by uh, BIPOC individuals, immigrants, refugees, et cetera. Um, It is amazing um, the diversity in food that you can provide um, while also supporting, uh, you know, a small business that is owned and operated by um, a person who is of the community that we are trying to support. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, we've learned that food businesses, catering, food trucks, all of that is a very common, you know, business model for immigrant refugee, um, you know, populations in particular. And that also gives us a great experience, right? We get to try some, 
you know, wonderful new Peruvian chicken that, you know, uh, we've never had before. So again, it's, it's kind of a win win uh, in terms of those food options. And of course, there's beverages. You not only have created signature cocktails, um, I think there was a great one at the last uh, at the last party we were at, but also, you know, are really thoughtful, I think, about non-alcoholic options. And it's sort of a form of being inclusive. Absolutely. We have a couple members of our team that that don't drink alcohol for a variety of reasons. Uh, and in order to have a fully inclusive event where everyone feels they can show up as their authentic self and going back to that value of belonging can truly feel like they belong um, and not feel othered for their choice in, in beverage, um, we we think through a number of different options that should be available to, to everyone. Uh, and so we have typically a number of uh, non-alcoholic and various beverages um, to, to really give people the option and to have the location where you are refilling uh, or, or grabbing your beverage from, um, it is all inclusive, right? All of these types of beverages are are inter, interwoven with one another. And so there is not a non-alcoholic table and an alcoholic table where you have to kind of self-select and put yourself into a different line. Um, there's one place where you and the rest of the, uh, the team, um, you know, come together to to pull all that kind of stuff. And that feels like a belonging idea, right? And and you're you're you mentioned kind of it's part of being inclusive. I feel like there are other efforts um that are specifically about being inclusive and demonstrating that value of belonging. What would you put in that category? We I like to think that belonging is a thread that you can pull on and it moves all of the different components of, of our business. Um, so in addition to, you know, the way that we plan all of these types of events, it can show up in the way that we uh, create programming for, uh, for example, our internship program. It can create, it can make changes to the way that we connect with other individuals in the community, um, other businesses that are doing similar work, um, and we feel like belonging is really um, essential uh, foundation for the way that you show up um, to do your best work and the the way that you show up to be the best citizen in your community. Yeah. And one thing I noticed for um, that you do in terms of invitations is you talk about whether an event is a plus one event, right? Is it just you or is it your plus one? And plus one is such a great neutral phrase that doesn't assume anything about the relationship, you know, that you have with that. Are you married? Are you, you know, uh, living together? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it a straight relationship? Is it a queer relationship? Like, it doesn't matter. It's just your plus one. And, um, you know, I still see invitations that like are sort of, you know, spouse or are otherwise assuming. And it just feels like one of those little touches to me that is just more inclusive. Absolutely. And in addition to it being inclusive language that allows people to feel a sense of belonging, regardless of the nature of their relationship, it also allows people to bring different people rather than just their significant other. Um, you know, they they could have a situation where they want to bring a different family member um, 
And so rather than being prescriptive about which specific person we're hoping to see from you, uh, you know, it, it, it opens that up and allows people to show up as their authentic self. I always learn something from you. That's great. I hadn't even thought of that one. And, and you know, there's also, um, you mentioned like people have childcare responsibilities. You know, I once went to a holiday event uh, that was held at the CEO's house. He had a, you know, big house. Um, and it was uh, one of the, one of the things they offered was they had a babysitter come over and the babysitter was in the basement like, I mean, you know, finished nice basement with like everybody's kids. And they were like, bring your kids and we'll do this starting at, you know, six o'clock and your kids can hang out with the babysitter. So, so you didn't have to leave one of the parents home to babysit and you didn't have to worry about the expense of a babysitter. And, you know, that was just a really, I thought, thoughtful and inclusive idea that just allowed everybody on an even playing field in terms of their participation. Absolutely. I have um, been wanting to integrate this kind of measure for our various events. And sometimes these events do happen, you know, of course, after hours or during times of the day where additional coordination of childcare would be required for people that that have children. Um, and so as a person that doesn't have a child, and most of my colleagues do, um, I have to really kind of pull myself out of my own experience and gather insights from these uh, my colleagues who have different numbers of children, different ages of children, um, different home situations where maybe they have, you know, a, a relative, a grandparent or otherwise, um, you know, participating in childcare. And so we have like all of these dynamics. And I would say this is one area that we have to grow. Um, managing uh, or or including um, a child care solution um, so that everyone truly feels like they can uh, participate regardless of what they've got going on um, and, you know, without feeling like they need to leave someone at home um, yeah. is a way I'd really like to expand our events in the future. Then we just got to all figure out how to include our dogs. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the other <laughs> thing that I always was found before I had a dog and, and colleagues would say, oh, I have to go home. I have to let my dog out. I'm like, what? You're, you're leaving for the dog? And now I look back and I'm like, maybe that was just an excuse because they were ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's both. Yeah, it's both. <laughs> well, we have one more minute, but one thing I'm going to make sure we touch on too is, um, is gifts, is that you know, one aspect of the holiday um, celebrations is that, you know, you pick out and, and we get a, a gift each year from the company. And those have also been a great opportunity to reflect your values. It's This is also another very exciting component of my role. I would say it is incredibly um, rewarding to be able to think through a gift to celebrate uh, everyone at the end of the year. Uh, regardless of, you know, religious affiliation or the holiday that they choose to celebrate. We call it a holiday gift. Um, and the way that I go about selecting those is, first, I look and see what kind of socially responsible businesses can I support. I look for B Corps. I look for nonprofit organizations that have, uh, a, you know, for-profit arm or something like that where they sell goods. Um, and, uh, you know, above all, if I can source locally, I do. 
That's brilliant. And last week we talked with Lauren McCann, uh, founder and CEO of Procure Impact, which is a platform, of course, that allows you to source from socially responsible businesses, social enterprises. Actually, I think I gave the example last week of how this year you put together a gift basket for us that included products from the Women's Bean Project, which is a social enterprise here in Denver, um, and how lovely that was. All right, you're listening to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider. When we come back, we're going to talk about the thought process Michael uses to make big decisions that are in line with company values. So stay tuned. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at leadershipforuminc.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. Have a question for Sharon or her guests? Email her at Sharon at TheIntegratedLife.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. If you do have questions or suggestions, I hope you will drop me a note, Sharon at TheIntegratedLife.com. I'm here today talking with Michael Snyder, my colleague and friend who's also the frontline implementer in a socially responsible small business. So Michael, I said we were going to talk about your thought process in making decisions. And there are so many decision points. I first want to kind of think about the physical space because you do have an office. What about the way the office is run is an intentional effort to be socially responsible and to reflect the values uh, of the business? I would say the main value that comes through in our physical space is this value of partnership and collaboration. Good, bad, or indifferent, we have uh, a open concept office space where very few of the individuals have a closed door office space. There are significant open areas um, in our kind of kitchen dining room space um, that really just feels like home. It is a very homey design. Um, we have booths uh, where multiple meetings happen, uh, collaborative sessions. Our meeting rooms are intended to literally and figuratively give everyone a seat around the table. Um, and really, the the design, the layout, the even just the floor plan um, is really kind of intended to 
facilitate this kind of cross-pollination mindset where different people from different teams are kind of circling around the same, you know, central locations. Um, and so we have a lot of kind of ad hoc conversations, a lot of, you know, discussions about the most recent movie or music. Um, and it creates this, this very comfortable uh, environment where truly this belonging value also comes through. And I'm in the office probably once a week, um, you know, in various kind of meetings or, you know, just saying hi um, when I'm in the area. And sometimes like you and me are the only people that are there. I mean, is is there sort of a set of expectations, um, you know, about core hours or core days that, you know, how do you, maybe what I'm getting is how do you balance that collaboration and partnership with flexibility that is so prized by people and workers today, especially in a knowledge economy business? Of course. Yeah, we, coming out of the pandemic, uh, we, as a team, uh, arrived at a uh, 3-2 hybrid schedule where our Mondays and Fridays are remote, kind of work from anywhere, and our really intended to serve as this uninterrupted independent working time. Uh, a big portion of our work um, kind of collectively is a lot of writing and reading. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure folks had one flexibility in their time and um, kind of maximize this, this blend, um, but also ensure that you could have uninterrupted work time. In addition to those flex days, we also do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday together in the office. Um, to kind of maximize this time together, we prioritize our larger team meetings and collaborative working sessions during these three days um, to, again, kind of prioritize the types of work that we're doing on those different structured days. The overlying theme, though, is allowing flexibility where flexibility is, is helpful. And so if you need to depart early on an in-office day to go and pick up your child from, from school, if you are meeting with partners out in community or you're traveling to other areas that have partners that we're supporting, um, the underlying theme of the way that we we function is do what's best for the work. And what's best for the work is often what's best for the community, given that's where we're plugged in. Amazing how that works. What's good for the employees of the community is also good for the business, right? That's one of our kind of core beliefs. So I really uh, appreciate that. And and I think, you know, I'm remembering, oh, I might mangle the exact quote, but I feel like it was back when Marissa Mayer was running Yahoo. And she, like she kind of rescinded, this was actually pre-pandemic, I think even, but she kind of rescinded a very flexible work from anywhere policy because she said, we, we, do deep work alone, but we do better like creative work when we're together. And, you know, so thinking about guiding, like what I really need from you and, you know, I don't know about you, but I've certainly worked places where FaceTime seat time was a much more important measure. And it, and it led me as a manager to actually put almost no value in seat time, but instead to judge the employees by the outcomes of, of their productivity. So if you can get done what I need you to get done, 
and knock off at three o'clock every great do it like if as long as you're getting done what i what you know what the job requires then that's how i judge your performance not by the number of hours you're sitting at a desk absolutely we have something similar um culturally where we recognize that the demands of our personal lives often intermix with our, you know, the standard nine to five. Uh, and so, you know, you will often see, you know, some people out of office different times. Some people are arrive early, leave late. Some people arrive late, leave late. Um, so it is really intended to be flexible um, to allow you to attend to all of the other things in your life that are meaningful while also, um making sure that the work that you're contributing to as part of this broader mission um, is aligned with with the contributions of everyone else as well. Well, and it's just a trusting. It's, I just so prefer it because it's a trust-based way to, you know, just relate to your employees. Um, Absolutely. You know, as long as you're getting your work done, I don't need to be literally looking at you. So I appreciate that. So talking a little bit more about the pandemic, you know, what was the thought process? And I feel like I remember you guys did not come back to the office for like two years. What was guiding, you know, the decision-making at each point? You know, it's like six months, you're evaluating. Is it time? Do we want to, you know, is it is it safe? I mean, what was it that you were thinking about that were sort of company values that was guiding that decision-making? there were a, a number of inputs into the decision-making process. So the first and foremost, of course, was um, staying aligned with uh, CDC and local healthcare guidance um, about what was safe and what wasn't. Second, we were also keeping track of what uh, people's, people have children that were doing, you know, remote schooling. Some school districts ended up going back. We were constantly being mindful of our colleagues that were parents and understanding how their lives may be impacted by uh, the decisions of school districts of, you know, other things. Um, and so we had individual kind of considerations like that. We also had macro uh, considerations. Um, and we also at multiple points uh, really just did a pulse check of everyone on the team. How do you feel about joining, um, you know, in an office space again, um, do you, you know, we have, of course, a, a, a mix of, of people and situations. And so we were really wanting to make sure that our return to the office, uh, kind of policy when it did, uh, come, you know, come to bear in, in about two years following, uh, February of 2020, uh, we wanted to make sure it was inclusive and, and, uh, really taking into account everyone's kind of individual comfort level. Again, the thoughtfulness is just really striking. And, you know, while we're talking about HR, you've also overseen the development of an internship program um, over the last few years. Can you tell us about that and why it was important to you? Absolutely. The The internship program really has been a highlight of, of my time with this organization. I was... Um, it was kind of put on my plate unexpectedly the first year that we launched it in collaboration with a number of other organizations. And the thing that really stood out to me was being able to have that impact on an individual. Going back to the values, 
uh, you know, the, the respect for the individual and the focus on the individual. As a member of the operations team, rather than the shared impact team, um, in the way that we kind of think about what that the nature of the work looks like, I don't get to interact with, you know, our partners in community as often as some of my other team members. And participating in the internship program and leading the internship program for the last three years has given me the special opportunity to interact very closely with one individual and really make that impact um, in one person's life. And so we do our recruiting um, to through HBCUs and the internship is, a, of course, a, a compensated role uh, where they are provided cohort-wide training and um, learning sessions that prepare them to uh, integrate into the workforce after their college experience. Typically, we are um, recruiting at a younger age than um, than most internship programs are. Our goal was to be the first internship pro- uh, internship on someone's resume that gives them the leg up for the next one. Um, and so we bring them in from, like I mentioned, um, HBCUs, um, typically in in um, the Midwest, and um, they they come to our organization, our our office in Denver, and. Uh, get to participate uh, and really learn an industry that is kind of gatekept. There's a lot of um, mystery around, you know, what we do. And um, so it's it's an exciting opportunity to be able to provide that unique experience to a student um, at such a young age. As someone who started as an intern myself, I know how valuable it is to, you know, get that experience on your resume before you go looking for the first job. You know, it's it's all the difference in the world. And so I really appreciate the trend of paid internships in particular so that students don't have to choose between supporting themselves and advancing their career interests and have really, um, you know, appreciated that overall push to eliminate unpaid internships um, which, you know, in some ways is sort of a double cost. You're paying the money and you you have to give your time and um, effort. But it's one of those things where you really have the opportunity to give a young person sort of this, uh, you know, leg up, as you described it, in, in whatever's next and get them the first rung on the ladder in an industry and a career that's not always very accessible, which I really appreciate. All right. You're listening to Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider. We're here with Michael Snyder, an operations associate for a socially responsible business, talking about all those day-to-day decisions that go into implementing a company's values. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. What's holding your business back from long-term growth? How can you accelerate the changes needed to build an adaptable platform to support transformative change? How are others optimizing business processes and systems to ensure timely decision-making through the use of data? Learn how you can minimize disruption and maximize results. Take a break with Rising, our weekly expert panel, and our host, Bonnie D. Graham, to learn how others are getting smart with technology and creating their next-gen ERP. 
Join us on Rising Evolution, the future-proofed enterprise, presented by Rising, a Wipro company, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. Have a question for Sharon or her guests? Email her at Sharon at TheIntegratedLife.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Sharon Schneider. You're listening to Socially Responsible Business. And I'm here today talking with my friend and colleague, Michael Snyder, Operations Associate for a Socially Responsible Small Business. So, Michael, one of the other areas that you are sort of overseeing for this company is technology. And... You know, you might think technology is kind of values neutral, although if you've followed anything to do with Twitter, (laughs) social media and all those things, you know, you kind of realize it's not. There's there's actually a lot um, of choices and, you know, assumptions and algorithms and bias and all those kind of things that can creep into what seems like a neutral platform. So I'm curious, are there aspects of how you approach technology that you think are different from business as usual or that are particularly reflective of your company values? Absolutely. So I think of technology as um, kind of living in two two parallel um, and interrelated um, lanes. Uh, one being internal facing technology and the second being external facing. Of course, some technology tools are both um, where internal uh, staff integrate with the same tool as external, um, you know, clients or, or you know, customers. Um, and so historically, um, we have developed systems that are good only for internal users. We spend so much time thinking about how to optimize our own productivity. Um, and we don't take time to think about the way it impacts users, um, particularly, you know, people in community. Now, uh, or the way that we do it is we integrate principles from human-centered design, which really allow us to go through the thought process, the user process for both internal and external users and really think about the different ways, the different things that are going into their use cases. And as we develop new systems, we're able to integrate those those insights. We're able to make changes that make it easier for for our partners and community to complete the, the tasks that we're asking of them. We're making it less onerous for them while also increasing the type of the quality of the data that we're collecting to be able to tell the story of the impact that we're driving. And so all of these things kind of blend together in a single technology solution that, again, is good for you. It's good for the community. It's good for us. Um, and it ultimately um, increases and uh, exponentially allows us to, to drive impact. Uh, that's amazing. On an upcoming show, we're going to feature 
um, the founders behind a software development shop called Fearless that really focuses on building software for government agencies that make it easier um, and more efficient for individuals to interface with the government and get the services that they kind of are entitled to. And um, I think that's such a great uh, example of how technology can either be a barrier or a open gate, open door. Um, and we often choose that without choosing. We choose what's best for us, um, you know, as the internal gatekeepers. So I really appreciate that. So turning a little bit to, um, you know, your role as a implementer, and you have the values that the business had articulated, you know, before you got there and had core core values and, and had identified that. But what is the most helpful or important guidance that you've received from management and, and, and the owners that helps you make all these decisions? Like what advice would you give to our listeners who might be the CEO or might be the founder or the manager about how to really get their team behind the vision and in a place to implement uh, in the day-to-day? I would say it's less uh, words of advice. It, it, it's actions um, of advice. And the way that I see our founders live these values rather than simply articulating them and expecting others to do things that they themselves are not willing to do, these founders live these values day in and day out every single time I have the opportunity to interact with them, um, all of these things um, really shine through the way that they show up as people and the way that they show up as leaders of the the organization. And so my advice is say what you're going to do and do what you're going to say, what you say. I have seen the same thing. I have walked into the office kitchen and seen one of the founders rinsing out, you know, something to put in recycling and, you know, the, the way they live their lives, is it's not a poster on the wall, it's their example. Um, and you're so right. And, and every time I question, every time I go, wait, do you mean it? Like, are we really going to do this impact thing? And the answer is always yes. Yeah, no, no, we mean it. And, you know, there's no dissonance and there's no gap between what they say and who they are. And um, thank you for lifting that up because it really is the key here. And I also want to just acknowledge you're, you and, and the company and the founders, you're clearly doing so many things right. And, and the hearts and minds of everyone on the team are willing. But of course, none of us are perfect, right? None of us have achieved the pinnacle. There's always room for improvement. So is there some area that you see, you know, for your own growth or the company's growth, something that you, you're still struggling with? Absolutely. I've mentioned previously that we have a pretty small team. Um, We're at about 12 right now. Um, And part of our growth trajectory that I I hope to see and hope to be a part of um, for my organization is to um, continue to increase diversity uh, amongst our colleagues. Um, We, (laughs) this particular industry is majority white the industries in which we're recruiting from, you know, finance, uh, venture capital, other types of investing, majority white. And so that's a, an unfortunate, like, 
shortcoming of those industries that we're, we're recruiting from. And it's also just Denver is also majority white. And so sourcing local candidates or even candidates that are willing to relocate um, has been challenging. And we just need to be more intentional and put more energy behind a more diverse um, recruiting and, you know, kind of dispersal of our job openings when they when they arise um, and really continuing to invest in diversity and equity um, within our team. It is everyone on the team recognizes the value that diverse voices bring to the work that we do. Um, and so it's that second piece of actually being able to integrate it. Mm -hmm. So often that, as I said, hearts and minds are willing and, you know, it's the, how do you, how do you get there? And it's tough, even when you, you want to get there. What would you tell the folks listening today is the next right thing that they can implement, the simple step that they can take from this and implement in their own business today? The the one word that rises to the top for me is authenticity. I think in this day and age, authenticity is becoming harder to find. And so if you want to bring your team, your organization to the next level, bring that authenticity show up as your authentic self, do work that is authentically meaningful and allow everyone else that's doing that work with you to do the same. Michael, your authenticity shines through. And I hope that people listening today got just a taste of it and why you are one of my favorite people. So thank you so, so much for joining me. Thank all of you uh, for listening today. I hope you'll join us again next Monday and all the Mondays after that. Uh, bookmark the show at voiceamerica.com and on all the big streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. So we'll be back streaming live on Voice America Network Business Channel next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific. This is Socially Responsible Business. I'm your host, Sharon Schneider. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Socially Responsible Business with Sharon Schneider. We hope we've given you some ideas of how your business can succeed while being a force for good. Until we talk again, visit www.theintegratedlife.com for resources to take a small but meaningful step today.